thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 7. Solomon has made the decision, a wise decision, to build the temple because it was God's will through his dad, David, to do it. And we learn that everything begins with a decision. Every good thing begins with a good decision. Every bad thing begins with a bad decision. And Solomon made the decision to obey the will of God and also to obey the will of his father as David got everything ready for the building of the temple. Notice verse 1 of chapter 7 of 1 Kings. But Solomon took 13 years to build his own house and he finished all of his house. And he also built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. Uh, It had four rows of cedar pillars, cedar beams and pillars. It was paneled with cedar above the beams that were on 45 pillars, 15 to a row, windows with beveled frames, three rows, windows opposite in three tiers. Verse 5, all the doorways, doorposts uh, had rectangular frames. The window was opposite. Then in verse 6, he built the hall of pillars, um, and it had its length, and it was all paneled. Verse 9, these were of costly stones, hewn to size, trimmed uh, saw, uh, with saws inside and out from the foundation to the eaves, uh, and also on the outside of the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, verse 10, large stones. Some were 15 feet or 10 cubits. Some were about 12 feet or 8 cubits. Uh, There were costly stones hewn to size cedar wood. The great court was enclosed with three rows of hewn stones, a row of cedar beams in the inner court of the house of the Lord and its vestibule of the temple. Now, in verse 1, you know, he's got, he's, he's got the, what, what's all laid out. What, what is happening here is that from the temple, it took seven years to build the temple, but it took 13 years for him to build his own house. So he's describing the palace compound uh, and what was important there. And before we even get into the rest of the chapter, it's important to compare the differences between building the temple and his house because I believe it speaks to us about the urgency of God's call upon our lives. So he built the the temple much faster than he built his own house. The temple was much more difficult, and it had a much more careful construction, but he was able to finish it in seven years. And when it came to his own house, it took almost twice as long. Now, one commentator suggested that Solomon, at this point in his life, is at a height of his spiritual strength. He's at a height of walking strong with his God. And, and has a seriousness about his calling, has a serious, not seriousness about this new role, and his walk is strong, his love for God is pure. And he's walking really at this time in his life closer with the Lord than unfortunately he will the rest of his life. Now, praise God, we don't know the rest of our lives. Um, I hope that we're not walking as close with the Lord now than we will the rest of our lives. I, I hope we're just beginning. I hope we're on the upslope. Don't we, can I get an amen on that? I hope we're not on the downslope. I hope we didn't hit the height of, well, you know, this is just the best it's going to be. But unfortunately, when you look back on our life, you're able to see that. When you look at the entirety of life, you can say, well, you know, unfortunately that brother peaked there. Or unfortunately that brother took a fall. And, and unfortunately that sister, you know, that sister made a bad decision and put them back a few years. And there's a sense of urgency in Solomon because of his closeness to the Lord. 
And, and that's just the way it is, church. The closer you are in your relationship with Jesus, the more urgent the things of God are to you. The more serious you and I take the things of God. The more serious, not, not repetitiously, not religiously, but just our relationship with the Lord. If you, you think back to the reality of your new believer experience, like everything was fresh and everything was new. And for the most part, you didn't know anything. I, I know when I got saved, I really didn't know anything about the things of God. I really couldn't, I couldn't find a lot of the books of the Bible. Uh, I had to look on the table of contents. I didn't know where books of the Bible. So when Pastor Jeff was telling me to go somewhere, I'm like, I'd get lost. I just stopped trying for a while there. And I just wait and wait. And then eventually I bought these tabs to put in your Bible, but then I put them in wrong. So I had to get a new Bible and new tabs. And like, I, I mean, truly, really, I was, I was a blank slate for the Lord. But like many of you, that blank slate got filled with all sorts of things and all sorts of ideas that weren't necessarily from the Lord. They weren't sin or anything, but you know, you learn a few verses, you start to feel good about yourself, and you memorize a couple things, you start to feel good about yourself. You come to church, you know, it's different coming to church as an unbeliever, and you're just so excited in the beginning. But then, man, when you're in church for a couple years, you go, oh, okay. And then if you're in the same church for a few years, um, maybe even here, you'll hear the pastor share a story that you heard five years ago, and you go, oh, I heard that story before. I know how to end it. And you're not excited. You know, the, the reason why your pastor shares the same stories over and over again is because those are his stories. Well, you want him to make things up and lie to you? Like, that's his life. And so the longer you're with someone, you're going to hear. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that if you've heard, let's say here, you hear the same story. You don't just shut down. Maybe because you've heard it already, you, you just begin to pray because they're surrounded by people that never heard it. And they're hearing it fresh like you did years ago. But, but then, you, you know, you, why do you cop attitudes? But because you've been around you. Things aren't important anymore. And you think you, got, you, you think you got it made. You think you got things understood. You got that one under your belt. And the reality is, is it's not true. None of us are as far as we really want to be or should be or could be. I mean, that's all going to happen when Jesus returns, you know. We're going to have the fullness of maturity until we see him face to face. But until then, we're growing in grace. And Solomon's urgent. Like, hey, between my own house and the house of the Lord... Man, I'm going for the house of the Lord. But where is it? And when is it exactly where, man, things get flipped around? And it's, it, it is 20 years for the house of the Lord. But you can get your house done in a year. Because after all, you know, you don't want to pay two mortgages and you don't want to go into this. And, and, and come on now. When is it? When is it that we have flipped around. We were so excited and then something flipped around. It happens to all of us. I mean, in Israel it happened. Those of you that studied with us not too long ago in our midweek study, we learned in Israel's history when Haggai comes along and he brings a strong word of correction to the nation. Because what did they do? They neglected the building of the temple. Not only did they neglect the building of the temple, but it's implied that they took the wood, the wood that was supposed to be given and used in the temple, and they used it to panel their own houses effectively stealing from God to take care of their own stuff. May that not be named among us. So here's this huge palace that Solomon builds. The main house is 75 by 100, 7,500 square feet of his main house. 
And the temple was only about 2,700 square feet. So why the bigger house? Well, there is some practicality to God because in, ancient, in the ancient Near East, the king's sovereignty wasn't really established until he established his palace. And so there's an essence of Solomon establishing himself into the world around him in the name of God. And there is a lot of practicality to the things of God. A lot of things are just very normal, practical, anointed, common sense. And the rest of the section deals with all the different nuances. Verse 13 now. King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a bronze worker. He was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill in working with all kinds of bronze work. So he came to King Solomon and did all of his work. Solomon hires a guy named Hiram, and this, is not, this isn't the same Hiram from Tyre, the king. This is not the king that supplied the wood. This is a craftsman, and he was gifted. And it was wise to have gifted people work on his palace. And it reminded me of a more significant, uh, a more significant truth when it comes to giftings. Would you turn back to Exodus chapter 32? Let me show you something. Because God has created you a certain way, and God has made you a certain way, and God has placed you in the body for a certain purpose. And there's no need to be jealous of other people's giftings. There's no need to be jealous that you're doing what you're doing, but somebody else is doing what they're doing, and you want to do what they're doing, and you wish they were doing what you're doing, but rather to know that you made and you were placed in the body the way that God wants you. Notice in verse 1 in Exodus 32, you know, this isn't the right chapter. And I don't know what chapter I want. I want chapter 31. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is verse 1, See, I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship in design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze, cutting jewels for setting, carving wood, to work in all manner of workmanship. Now, notice in verse 2, the emphasis on, or excuse me, uh, in, yeah, in verse 2, see, I have called by name, and then in verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding knowledge in all manner of workmanship. I, I love this. God has called someone by name to do a specific task for the building of the tabernacle and the elements of the tabernacle. And he's called him out. He's called him out by his tribe, by his name, all the way through and put the, filled him with the spirit of God and made him gifted and skilled in all manner of workmanship. You could say that he's called for a specific purpose, personally. And the same is true for us today. God knows you and me personally. You're not a number. You're not a robot. You're not somebody that's expendable. You're not someone, you know, you think of the tribe of Israel here. We're talking a few million people. And out of a few million people, this one guy was, was singled out by God himself and brought to the attention of Moses for the help and the work with his craftsmanship and his gifting for the work of the tabernacle. And you know, when churches grow, and when churches grow and they, they grow from a few to a little bit more and to a little bit more, there's this temptation and maybe even this false lie to believe, well, you know, this church is so big, I'm not needed. That's simply not true. It's not true at all. We're all needed. 
And we all have a place. Or, you know, the church is so big, I'm just a number. You're not a number. You're a person. And the Holy Spirit wants to use you. He wants to equip you. He wants to fill you with his spirit, not just in salvation, but to serve him, whether it's within the context of our congregation or whether it's in the context of your home or at work or at Safeway or whatever it might be. But don't let the enemy rip you off to say, well, you know, maybe, maybe nobody knows me. No, the Lord knows you. And I'll tell you what, the more you serve, the more people that know you. The more you serve the Lord, the more people will know you. You go, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm telling you, the only way you serve the Lord is by serving people and by loving people and by caring for people. And it's true whether you're in a church of 20 people and God's doing a dynamic work in a church of 20 people or in a church of 20,000 people. It doesn't matter. God, he calls you by name. And the only response that you and I have that is acceptable to God when he calls you by name is to respond and to make yourself available. Especially those of you that, you know, I think of Bezaliel here, like uh, this brother is a gifted craftsman. Like he could take a chunk of wood and make it some. There's a few of you, many of you in this church that are just gifted, amazingly gifted. I happen to not be one of them. I, 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 this isn't me. I, I'm not good with my hands. And I'm not good with tools. And I'm not good with very much of anything. I'm good at reading and talking. That's pretty much what I'm good at. <laughs> That's not, not, not good stuff to put on your resume. Man. And, and, and yet there's the spirit of God that gives us the gift. And so I have the gift of administration. I can take chaos and bring order to it. And, and the Lord has given that to me. And I have the gift of teaching. And I'm able to communicate the gospel in a way where it's understood. And I have the spiritual gift of pastoring where I love people. And I want to lead them in the ways of the Lord creatively. And so I have my place. So I can't look at a craft, gifted craftsman uh, or craftswoman like Marie. I can't look at her and be jealous of her. So oh, I wish I could really work with wood like that. I just need to encourage her, work with wood all you want, honey. I'm going to be over here reading. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. That's not very nice. But to learn how to, to offer yourself and your gifts and talents that God has given to you to serve the Lord. And it just does away with all of the jealousies and the envy that we have in the body of Christ. You are not insignificant. You are not insignificant in any context. But don't put yourself on the shelf. Don't be fearful to step out in obedience. There's a lot of fear when it comes to serving God. There's a lot of fear stepping out in faith. There's a lot of fear in the missions and going on a short-term trip that might stir your heart to go full-time. There's a lot of fear that comes with that. One of the fears that's, that's common is that, man, if I make myself available to God, he's going to lead me or call me to do something that I'm going to absolutely hate and he's going to ruin my life. Or, or like the mission field. What, what do you mean? He's going to call me and I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to sell all my possessions. I'm going to sell everything. And then I'm just going to fall on my face. And then I won't have anything. No, you don't understand. The original call to sell everything and to leave and move, God gave you everything when you sold everything. You haven't lost anything. It's just stuff. And you guys know as well as I do, I can't believe how many storage places they're building all around town. It is not hard to get stuff. You can go to one of those storage uh, places and go to one of the sales where people didn't pay their bills and you can have their stuff if you want it. But here's the thing. Don't be afraid to serve the Lord. 
Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fall on your face. It could be that God allowed you to fall on your face to reveal to you what's in your heart. It could be that God allowed you to face this opposition. No, I wouldn't even say it could be. If you're failed, you failed serving the Lord, God allowed that failure to reveal your heart to you, to cause you to cry out to him more, to send you to your knees in prayer. You're praying now more than any time before. Why? Because you failed, but you didn't really fail. You failed, but it wasn't a failure because you were seeking the Lord. And, and God allowed that hardship and that, that, so allowed that person to really hurt you. Why? To reveal in your heart the pride and how much caring what people thought about you meant to you. You didn't know that until somebody says something bad about you. And you're like, whoa, don't think anything bad about me. No, no, now the Lord's going, what do you mean? Don't you, isn't my approval enough for you? Then I call you to my, and so God allows things to, to reveal our character to us so that we might become more dependent upon him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to serve him and step out in faith. Don't, don't be afraid to lose everything. You know, the Bible says that the person that seeks to gain his life is what? Going to lose it. But the person that seeks to lose their lives, they're going to gain everything. And so the rest of the chapter, you know, from verses 15 to 22, gets back to looking at the temple. And, you know, there are some furnishings um, that, that God uh, used. In verse 15, there were two pillars of bronze. Uh, one was 18 cubits high, a line of 12 cubits measured, the circumference of each, so these are pretty big. There were two capitals on the top of bronze and the pillars. Verse 17, he made the lattice network, the reeds of chain. Uh, he made the pillars, verse 18, with pomegranates, and the capitals were on top, verse 19. And then notice verse 21, he set up the pillars by the vestibule of the temple. He set up the pillar on the right and called its name Hakim, and he set the pillar up on the left and called its name Boaz. And so the words literally mean on one side, the pillar says he will establish. And on the other side, Boaz means in him there is strength. And they were there to be reminding the people, the children of Israel, of the faithfulness of God and the strength of God. What is it in your life that you have that reminds you of the faithfulness of God and the strength of God in your life? What do you see visually? I know that Marie from time to time around the house will put up different scriptures different fancy, um, you know, frame things around the house. They get changed from time to time. But, but I know there are times when I'm, I'm walking through the house and I'll look up and I'll see, see some promise on the, uh, on the wall and it'll just encourage me. It'll remind me of the faithfulness of God. It's just right there on the wall. Most of the time I don't see it, but I see it when I need to see it. <laughs> and it just pops up there and you go, ah, just like those pillars. You're walking in and out, in and out, in and out. But the day you need to remember, hey man, that reminds me of the strength of God. Everything's done with a purpose. Everything's done by God with a purpose. And, and it would be wise for you and I to set things up to remind us. To remind us of the strength of the Lord. To remind us of the faithfulness of God in our lives. His stability. His reliability. Because we tend to forget. Notice verse 23. He made the sea of cast, of cast bronze. Uh, this was 10 cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits. A line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. Below its brim were ornamental buds encircling all around, 10 to a cubit. Uh, and the ornamental buds uh, were cast in two rows when it was cast. Uh, verse 25, it stood on 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them and all their back parts pointed inward. It was the handbreadth thick 
Its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. And so it's a large tank, basically. And it's seven and a half feet high by 15 feet by 45 feet around. And the priests would walk up to this and wash their hands before they ministered to the Lord. It was filled with about 14,000 gallons of water. If you go with us uh, on our tour to Israel and you come to us into the Temple Institute, you'll see some, you'll see uh, one that's similarly made, not with the oxen, but a similar wash basin um, that's made. And and these were all very precise things because God requires, you know, we're going to go through the rest of these measurements and we'll go, because God requires preciseness. You, you can't just come and worship God any way that you want. You can't just make it up as you go along. You know, like for example, God has ordained that we gather together in worship in a large gathering like this. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying he's ordained to be here in this particular room at this particular time. But God has ordained larger gatherings. And this happens to be the gathering for our fellowship on a Wednesday night. He's ordained that. He has ordained the gathering on a Sunday or we even gather on a Saturday in large to remind us that we're not alone. To remind us that whatever the church family size is, the church families to come together and worship together. This is what the early, this is what believers have done from the beginning of time. It's not enough to say, well, you know, I, I can worship God anywhere. I can go, I can worship God out on the golf course. And, you know, just me and my buddies and a golf club and, you know, and I don't need to gather together with it. You can't just make it up. You're right. You can worship God on the golf course until you miss the shot and you break the club and you sin in your anger. But you can worship God on the golf course. Of course you can, but not to the neglect of God's order. And yeah, you can worship God out in the mountains, but not to the neglect of God's order. You can worship God in a variety of different contexts, but you can't make it up as you go along. The Bible says not to neglect the gathering of ourselves together as the such as some are doing right now. So in your church family, wherever and whatever it might be, God has called the assembly together and you're to be a part of the assembly. God has called you to serve. God has called us to give. God has called us to be generous in our love for one another. We can't just make it up along the way. And so in these in these specific measurements and all of the, the, the various areas of worship, God is very precise. And notice he says in verse 27, there were these 10 carts of bronze, four cubits, um, all the way through describing to the end of verse 39, um, there was this lar- along the large tank, there were 10 portable tanks with wheels um, where they could take the water of purification to the priest that would, might need it. And you can read that all for yourself later on. Verse 40. Hiram made the lavers and the shovels and the bowls. Hiram finished doing all the work that he was to do for King Solomon on the house of the Lord. You want that? Just mark that if you haven't already in your Bible. Hiram finished doing all the work that he was to do for King Solomon on the house of the Lord. He was faithful. He was hired to do a job and he did the job. He was faithful. And there's something to be said about, you know, the Bible speaks of us Serving our employers. Don't moan and don't groan. The Bible says for us to serve our employers not with eye service, but that whatever we do, we do as unto the Lord. 
And we don't cop an attitude because maybe we don't like our employer or we don't like our current position or we don't like our supervisor or we don't like our computers or we don't like our life or whatever, whatever it is. You can't have your life as a believer of Jesus Christ at the end of your life that you didn't finish what you were hired to do or what you were enlisted to do. Like God wants us to finish. He wants us to finish strong. We've seen that in the context of a few other Bible studies in the life of our church lately where Paul was just able to say, I finished the race that God gave me, man. I went all the way to the finish line. And the same is to be true, stepping back a little bit and say, hey, look, believers in Jesus Christ should be the most faithful, most reliable people on the planet Earth. People that keep their word. People that that go above and beyond. Jesus said to go the extra mile when you're commanded to do something. But usually when we're commanded to do something or somebody doesn't ask us kindly, we cop an attitude, you know. But no, man, even when a Roman soldier comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, take this a mile, you don't even worry about it. You take it two miles. You go the extra mile. I like, I just love that. It just speaks to me that Hiram finished doing all that he was hired to do. And then it says in verse 41, he finished the pillars, the bowl-shaped capitals, all the pomegranates. I mean, it goes through. He did a lot of work. Verse 43, the 10 carts, the lavers, the sea, 12 oxen, the pots, the shovels. Now, don't, he didn't do it all on his own. He had help. But a lot of the work that he did, he did. And certainly he was probably involved in the things that he was most talented in. It says in verse uh, 47 that Solomon did not weigh all the articles because they were so many. The weight of the bronze wasn't even determined. Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, the table of gold on which the showbread, lampstands of pure gold, five on the right side, five on the left in front of the inner sanctuary, uh, with the flowers, the lamps, the wick trimmers of gold, the basins, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, the censers of pure gold, the hinges of gold, both of the doors of the inner room, the most holy place, the doors of the main hall, the temple. Thus, all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, the furnishings, and put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. There were so many things that were used in the regular worship of Yahweh, of Jehovah. So many things that were not really known or seen by most people. I think of it in the life of our own congregation. There's so much going on in, in through our congregation. There's so much that God is doing through us as the Spirit of God is moving among us that, that you don't know about, that I don't know about, but the Lord knows. Such detail. There are things that you're praying about right now that's just between you and the Lord about what he wants to do in your life, what kind of step of faith you want to take, what, what, what he's doing to stretch you, what humility he's bringing about in you. And it's just so exciting. It's so encouraging that there's so much to be done in the name of the Lord in these days. Now, when you would walk into the temple, when you would walk into the temple, it would become a, a picture and a type of heaven it would remind you of the heavenly realm. Just like sometimes, even in the plainness of our building, sometimes in the house of worship, it, it takes you outside of the normal, crazy things that you experience today. You're worshiping, you're singing the songs that Henry's leading us in, and you're just singing the songs, 
and I'm sorry for reminding you, but for the sake of making a point, you had a bad day today. When you were singing, you forgot about the bad day, but I just now remind you about the bad day, and you're like, thanks, Ed. Bring Henry back up. I will in just a moment. But that's intended to, that's one of the benefits of coming together. That when we come together, you know, there's such harmony among us, isn't there? Where the voices just seem to mix together. And it doesn't matter if you're a good singer, bad singer, or anything in between. God is able to take our voices together and just mix, and they just come together and they harmonize. It, it's, it's a type and a picture. The temple is, at least, of, of heaven. And, and this is, you know, this is a little bit of a type of heaven in that sense as we gather together because our eyes and our hearts are really getting heavenly. We're really wanting to press into the things of God. We're really wanting to grow. You're listening to Sharon, and you're just so encouraged that God is moving on the earth. The next couple weeks, you're going to hear from other missionaries. You're just going to be so encouraged. You're going to start praying for them more. You're going to start praying for yourself. You're going to go downstairs and you're going to pick up a card and begin to pray or visit a table. You're going to say, no, man, life is bigger than Denver. Life is bigger than Aurora. Life is bigger than Colorado. Life is bigger than the United States. God has come and sent his son to save the world. The world. I mean, that's what he said, that God so loved the world. And it does begin here. That's the model. The model is it starts at home. It, it, it even starts way before Aurora or whatever city you live in, it starts in your home, your house. Even if you're renting a room from someone, it's your room. It is you. Even if you're roommates, you got 10 people living in this, it's you, it's you. It starts with you. And then you begin to reach those that are close to you. Jerusalem, home base. You got to be faithful at home. Because if you're not faithful at home, if you move 10,000 miles away to the other side of the world, you're not going to be any more faithful 10,000 miles away if you can't even go across the street to minister to your neighbor. You're not, it's not going to change overnight. As a matter of fact, it's going to get harder when you leave your culture. It's going to get harder when you leave your comfort. It's going to get harder when you eat different food. It's going to get harder when you don't know the language. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. So you want to learn faithfulness right here and now. And how do you do that? You do that in the life of your local church. And then some of you are called beyond Aurora, beyond Denver. You're called to our state. And so you're going off to different places to minister in different places around our state. Maybe planning a church somewhere or maybe to the United States. You just have a call. I know that when Marie and I were praying and just really trying to discern where God was going to send us, he made it clear that it was going to be within the United States. He made it clear to us. That's how he's made me. He's made me as a mobilizer. Uh, that's, that's my role in missions. My role in missions is through the, the, the role of pastor-teacher to train and equip and send. That's, God made that clear. He didn't make it clear what scope. I never, I never imagined, guys. Just like I hope, I hope you have times like this in your life. But I never imagined. I never imagined in a million years that I'd be, be able to be a part of so many wonderful lives and so much that's going around the world. You know, you have to understand, I'm, I, I know as of late, um, it seems, I mean, and I, I travel. Um, but you've got to understand, I don't like traveling. I get sick all the time. Planes are the dirtiest thing on the planet Earth. And I get sick every time I go. Uh, I'm, I'm not real good with eating foreign food or any kind of food that Marie hasn't cooked. I'm not really good with the... I'm just a real plain person. Uh, I don't like traveling. I don't like jet lag. I don't, li I don't like any of that. Until God brought a brother into my life. Uh, his name is Bill, William. And he just kept hounding me, hounding me. Well, also Dave Gordon, both of them just would not let up. 
Ed, you don't understand. Pastors have to go. They have to go see it for themselves. They have to go encourage. And I just finally said, leave me alone. I'll go. And that's when we started ministry in Egypt, in Cairo, in the slums. And my heart was just broken. And, and Dave and Bill and many others were absolutely right. When we do these short-term trips, church, they're not vacations. We're not doing it just to get you out of Aurora. We want you, we want you to have your heart knit together with another people, to get out of your rut, to get out of your normal stuff, to, get, to, to go and have to get sick on the field. You know, learn what it's like. And, you know, when you're a missionary and you get sick, you get sick. You got to serve. You got to learn how to rest. And, you know, you, there's all kinds of lessons to learn that if you don't ever step out in faith, like we don't do short-term trips just to do them. We do them to support the missionary. We, the goal of our short-term mission trips is, is really singular. And then everything else comes outside of that. And that is to go and, and help and serve the missionary and leave them refreshed and more encouraged than when we came. It's not sightseeing. We're not on a sightseeing trip. We're, we're not on, although on some occasions, some, some countries we can only get on a tourist visa, so we may take a day to go see something, so we're not lying. We came in as tourists. We're going to go tourist something and see something, but that's only so that we won't be liars and we'll, we'll tell the truth, and then we'll spend the rest of the time ministering the gospel. That's what, in Cairo, we saw things during the day and we served at night because that's what they did. They didn't do anything during the day. So we would go see things or sleep in a little bit, and then we'd serve all night. It's amazing. It changed my life. It absolutely revolutionized my life. Uh, and I, I think it's God wants to do that in your life. He wants to revolutionize your life, whether it's taking a step of faith in a short-term trip or, you know, we have this thing at the children's hospital. You don't even have to leave the city. You can take a step of faith and go serve in children's hospital. You could go serve um, apartments up north. You can go serve. I mean, there's thousands of things you can do through the life of this, this church alone let alone all the other organizations and things going on around in our city. But like the time is short and the coming of the Lord is at hand. And like Hiram, like Bezalel, um, and you can say his name better than me, you want to do what God's called you to do and just get, get on that track and just do it. Because you're going to have opposition, you're going to have difficulty, and it's worse when you're not serving the Lord. Some people think it's worse when you're serving the Lord. It's actually worse when you're disobedient. You'd rather have warfare pressing on not have warfare in retreat. You don't want to get shot in your back. If you're going to get shot, get shot in your chest. Go forward. Spiritually, of course. But you go forward. You can move forward. You press on. You want to say at the end of your life, you want to say at the end of your life that, hey man, I have served and I've finished the work that God's given me to do. So we're going to be real blessed in the next couple of weeks, like I said, about some missionaries are going to be coming in and, and they're going to be sharing what God's doing in their life. They're going to be sharing the word with us and encouraging us and stirring us. And, and as you, you come in, you, you, I don't know how I got off on that because uh, we're talking about the temple being looking like heaven. So let me finish that. But there's an urgency. I see how it's all tying together. And I wasn't, um, I didn't, I was doing a hospital visit today, so I wasn't in staff meetings. So um, I forgot Sharon was sharing tonight, so she just ministered in my heart, like as if I showed up like you. Um, and, and so that was kind of cool. All right, write this down. Ready? Once you enter the temple, you're entering a, like a picture of heaven. The gold is always a metal symbolic of the heavenly scene. Brass is a metal of judgment. Silver is a metal of redemption. Remember, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver 
And in the tabernacle, there was even the silver sockets there. Uh, it, it becomes a medal of redemption. Um, gold, we know, speaks of heaven, as I mentioned already. So when you enter into the temple, you're entering into the model of a heavenly scene. In the New Testament, the Bible says that the tabernacle was actually a model of heaven. The temple was built after the model of the tabernacle, except it was twice as big. So when you come to worship, you know, we don't come to the temple anymore. We, we realize that we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That when you come to worship and you're gathering together at a building or a place, whether, again, if it's a building in self-standing, like, you know, freestanding like this, or you're renting a school or a strip mall or whatever, meeting under a tree, when you gather together with the saints, when you turn your heart toward the Lord, heaven is always before us. The best is still yet to come for us. Heaven is going to answer all the questions that are on your heart right now. Heaven is going to reunite you with loved ones that have gone on before you. Heaven is going to, you know, greater than all the little things that we want, although there are significant, but they're little compared to being in the presence of Jesus, where you'll be melted by his, by his look. You'll be melted by his, his, like, man, when the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the Father, man, there he is. There you are. And I know we get bogged down in the things of the world. We get bogged down with our bills and we get bogged down with our difficulties. We get bogged down with our temptations. We, we, get, we get just, you know, we feel like we're being trapped. Um, we make stupid decisions. I was speaking to someone this week um, that I actually connected with on a trip that I did um, that, that I taught at a church and I met them. They, they resonated with something I said and, and so I stayed in contact with them. And, and man, it's like... A, it's like an honor um, to be available, to be used to the Lord. It's an honor to be in people's lives. It's a privilege. And, and the, when, they, when they get into crisis, and they also have a connection with Pastor Jason here, Jason Klein, when they get into crisis, they call a thousand miles away for help. That's pretty powerful. That doesn't speak, uh, don't misunderstand me, I'm not speaking about me in any way. Because it's not me. It's the Lord putting people together. And make yourself open, would you? Be a person that someone would call a thousand miles away. Be obedient to the things of God. Get your house in order. Get your finances in order. Get your head in order. Like some of you are planning, maybe not here, but maybe listening on the radio or watching online, you're planning to sin right now. You are actually planning it out. You're planning how you can get out of it. You're planning how you can lie around it. Get your head on straight, man, and serve the Lord. Throw your plans away. Don't, don't continue on with that relationship. Don't continue to lie. Don't, don't plan to sin. The Bible says stay innocent in what is evil, but excellent in what is good. Use that mind power to serve the Lord. Dig deeper into the things of God. Start planning righteousness. Start planning what your life might be like in a life of obedience. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Ask for forgiveness. I mean, think of what you can do. But man, if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to crash and burn. You're not going to be a person that's sensitive to the needs of others. You're not going to be a person that's obedient. Even when everybody thinks you're crazy, God doesn't think you're crazy because he's the one that told you to do it. I'm encouraged in this chapter. It's not much but a bunch of detailed things about the temple, but I'm encouraged about the urgency. I'm encouraged about the urgency. Last time we were in this chapter, the Lord brought out the emphasis of lukewarmness. 
And that's kind of where we ended. But this time, God brings out the sense of urgency, the sense of heaven, taking as many people to heaven as we can, the sense of obedience, the sense of, hey, God is not finished with you. He has compassion on you in your weakness. He has compassion on you in your stumblings. God loves you. He loves your kids. He, he loves you as you are. He didn't stop loving you when you failed. He didn't stop loving you when you had that thought. He didn't stop loving you when he backslid. He didn't stop loving you when you got depressed. He didn't stop loving you when you went backwards instead of forwards. His love, the Bible says, his love, he's drawing you with his cords of love. You could say that he's tethered to you by his love. You could say that his love is a motivating factor of serving him. Paul would put it this way. He says, the love of God constrains me. The greatest motivator on the planet earth is love. And God loves you. And he cares for you. And he cares about how he's going to use you for the purposes of his kingdom. Even in the pain that you're in right now. Even in the unfairness and the injustice that you're facing right now. Even in the fractured relationships and, and maybe some things went south that you didn't expect ever to go south, but they did. Well, God has allowed them into your life so that you might see your own heart and your necessity of him. It didn't end when you were born again. Born, being born again only awakened you to a deeper need of God in your life because you didn't see your need when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But when you were born again, you came alive. And the greatest thing that you and I came alive to was the love of God. And isn't it true that every day we're learning a little bit of how wide his love really is, how high it really can be, how deep it's really going in our lives, how long of a patience of love that God has for us. It's just every day we wake up to a new facet of his love and his goodness and his grace. And Jesus said that he would know, people would know that we're his disciples. Why? But by our love for one another. And so walk in love with a heavenly mindset. Worship the Lord in joy and gladness. Let him, let him have his way with you, church. Let him have his way with your family and with your singleness. Let him have his way. Submit to him. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. But what? He resists the proud. Let him, let him speak to you. Be open to something fresh and new. Be looking for it. Dig deep for what God wants to show you in his love of your life. And, and as you do, as you open yourself up to that, he will. He'll show you. He'll reveal it to you. And he has much in store, even more for us. So read ahead in 1 Kings 8. It's 66 verses. We're going to finish that in 30 minutes. But there's quite a bit here. So good. So, so blessed. If the Lord's speaking to you tonight, um, he's speaking to you about this urgency, um, I, want you to, I want you to get up and come up here right now. If that's something that the Lord really spoke to you, just get up from your chair and just come up here to the stage right now with me. Let's just act on it. Just urgency. That urgency of ministry, that urgency of obedience, that urgency. Just come up as, a, as, a, as a, an act of obedience. Um, like, man, you could see that there's an urgency that's needed in your life personally. 
So we'll wait for you. Keep on coming. If you guys are watching online or on the, on the, on the radio right now, you can't do it physically uh, like we are in the room, but you can do it anyway. So if you've got to pull your car over, pull it over. Um, if you need to, to stand up right at your computer screen right now or your phone, then stand up. Uh, and, and so I know it's not everyone. I know some of you are doing really well, and that's good. That's good. It doesn't have to be everyone. So we're going to wait for everyone to come up, and then the rest of you that have that sense of urgency already in your heart, you're going to lay hands on people up here. So why don't you guys come on up? Uh, everyone else, the whole church, just come on up. Come on up to the front. We'll make some room here. And we're just going to end praying for one another. And that pretty much means nobody's going to be sitting. So come on up. That pretty much means nobody's going to be sitting. We're all going to be a church family tonight. We're, we're all going to pray for one another. If you're not saved, get saved right now. Turn your life over to Jesus Christ. So come on up. Make room. Uh, you know, guys, come on in. Make room. Come on in. Make room. If you guys want to come up on the stage, you guys can come up. There's people that can come up on the stage to pray for people. So just come up on the stairs, and you can come up right here, and you can lay hands on everyone that's up on the stage. So come on up. You guys want to come up? I know it's different. So you guys that are stuck in the aisles, walk through the chairs and come up on the stage right here. And that way you'll be able to see the people up front uh, and pray for them. Somebody be the first one. Come on up. So there's one and he's not embarrassed. So everyone else, come on up. And so just find someone, lay hands on their shoulders, would you? All right, we're, we're going to wait until you do it. So we'll be here all minute. Come on up. So come on up and, uh, and lay hands on them. Just find someone to lay hands on. And no, I want you to, I want you to put, lay your hands on someone. No, I want you to lay hands on someone. All right. Father, we just ask right now by the work of your Holy Spirit that there are people that have a desire for urgency right now. Uh, you spoke to them. You spoke to them in the midst of what they're, what's happening in their lives and what's, a, what's being accomplished. And then others, they're just really in a place where they feel they can support the weak. Your word says that we're to support the weak and we're to come alongside and help carry the burdens with people. And so as a church family, I know it's only symbolic and it's not easy to do and uh, you know, it's, it, it's not, it, it's, it's, it's something that's different. We're not just ending in a song and just leaving, but we're, we're inspired. We recognize that Hiram from Tyre was able to do the will of God. How much more now those of us filled with your Holy Spirit are able to do the will of God. So fulfill the desire of those that are crying out to you today. Fulfill the desire of those that, that say, man, I need a fresh work of your spirit in our lives that you might be glorified, God that you might be honored, that you might receive all the attention and all the goodness for the great things you want to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.